Hey, you guys. My guest today is David Hensel. He is currently the CEO of TaskDrive, the former CMO of StackPath. He's a former co-founder of MaxCDN. He has been around the entrepreneurial circles many times. He's also been in a relationship for over 20 years, 22 years or something. David is someone who has thought a lot about how to help entrepreneurs be well and healthy in their relationships as well as at home. You can follow his thoughts on this at davidhenzel.com. So today we talk a little bit about the competing forces of love and fear and how they have the power to shape who we are in our business and in our relationships. And the very profound shift from a state of fear or scarcity to a a mental state focused on love sounds very hippy dippy, but I promise there's good science behind it. And it's a pretty powerful mental switch that is accessible to most of us. So that's part of our conversation here in this episode. We also talk a little bit about some strategies for planning out the life of the family and the business over the course of a new year. And I think this is a pretty important topic in the sense that the more reactive we are, the more we operate out of just needing to respond to the stressors or the situations around us, we really miss out on the ability to proactively author our own lives and make choices about how we want our business and our family to thrive in any given year. So David and I talk about that and some practical strategies for making that a a little bit easier. In the spirit of that conversation, I also want to remind you about our date night relationship accelerator course. Rob and I released that earlier this month and We would love to have you check it out. It's something that we think does help this process of staying super connected to the one that you care about in the midst of the ups and downs of a business. So for more information about that, it's zenfounder.com slash date night. And if you have any questions or you want to reach out and chat to me about it, you can find me at sherry at zenfounder.com. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've had a fabulous holiday season and I'm so excited to bring you this conversation between myself and David Hensel. We plan to talk through the issues faced by startup founders and the people close to them. That overused phrase, work-life balance. It is an amazingly focusing time. This is what we do, you know, aside from our families, this is our whole work life. I'm also known as Dr. Wine. You know this woman, non-traditional, a little more zen in the startup life. Those days were a mental struggle. I have been stressed in the past and I know that I will be in the future. A founder and his or her significant other will both get value from the episode. So we met in London. London, yes. About nine months ago, yeah, at LTV Comp, which was which was fun to meet you. And we have a lot of things that we do in common in terms of thinking about how to help entrepreneurs be healthy and happy and well while they're running their businesses. Would you say a little bit about your managing happiness course? Sure. So I've always been an entrepreneur as long as I can think. I never had a, a job. And I've been together with my wife for 20 some years now. And we never really had any friction. It was just kind of like everything, 
you know, all, all good. And then when our daughter was born, it became a little more complicated between us. And one day I came home after a meeting about the roles and responsibilities in my office. And I was sitting on the couch and I pointed out to my wife like, uh, hey, honey, I think Emma needs a diaper change. And my wife got really upset that I basically told her to change the diaper. And I was, was wondering, like, why are we fighting now? She does it most of the time and I'm totally okay with doing it. But I was not aware that it's my turn at 8.20 p.m. on a Tuesday. And then I realized we never talked about the roles and responsibilities in our private life. And, you know, it's, it's so useful in, in the business. And I thought, okay, that, let's maybe try it out at home. And the next morning we sat down and spelled out our roles and responsibilities. And we talked about everything. And this exercise took away all these unspoken expectations that I had of her and vice versa. And I thought, like, if this works so well, maybe we can take other aspects from business and apply it to our personal lives, like having a regular meeting having a shared to-do software, having a shared calendar, and you know, having a family core values, talking about our personal missions and visions, what we want to accomplish to kind of really figure out where we want to go. Because most people just, you know, are leaves in the wind and never really figure out what they want. And it's, it's a very healthy exercise to do this with your spouse. You, you learn a lot doing that. And this worked so well that I thought this may be useful for other entrepreneurs as well. And I've put it together in this course, which is called Managing Happiness. It's fantastic. I, I love that, you know, you and your family are across the world from, from Rob and I and our kids, but we've come up with very similar kinds of strategies that we're using from a weekly meeting to having these systems or rhythms in place where you take time to set values and goals and establish those as a family. You save a lot of heartache. One thing that, that works, I don't know if, if, if we talked about this before, Something that works really great is to note during the week things that you're that you don't like about your partner that are annoying to you, and because uh, bringing them up in the moment, you know, you'll just like end up in a fight. And when you have a fight, you don't really want to solve the situation; you just want to win the argument. I don't know this how, how we're wired. Sure. In your job, you'd never yell at your VP of sales because he didn't bring in the numbers. Uh, you'd sit down with him and say, "Like, hey, man, what's the problem? Do you need more leads? Do you need more budget? Like." What's the deal? How can we fix this? So you're in a solution-oriented mindset. So when we have our family meetings, we look at these lists of things that, that are friction points between us, and then we talk about it in a solution-oriented manner. And this, you know, it, it's it's pretty miraculous when you're in a in the right mindset and talking about solutions that you can actually solve these things. And then we everybody picks one that, that they want to work on, and then we keep track on how have we done last week with this topic. You know, and so this helped us to really eradicate a lot of the, the friction points between us. And it, it's such a great practice of self-discipline in those moments when you're having an emotional reaction, which we all do when we're feeling either irritated or frustrated or flat out angry. <laughs> I'm, I'm German. I have no emotions. You have no feelings. Okay. Well, you're exceptional, you and your Germans. <laughs> but but to, to be able to pause in that moment and say, okay, I'm realizing that I'm feeling this. I'm going to write it down or put a pen in it and then come back to it in a time when it's more productive. And that's, you know, kind of a superpower that a lot of us would do well to really practice. Well, we found that another cool thing is to have a safe word. And I was raised, my, my parents were total hippies in our household. There was never any yelling or, or, you know, I was never hit. And like when I had an argument with my parents, we talked like we are talking right now. And uh, in my wife's household, Turkish family, 
more emotional, like, they, you know, they, it's more common that they yell. And I didn't want that she yells at Emma because I think yelling is a form of violence. And I thought it should not, should not be done. And previously I was engaged with the, you know, when she was yelling at her, then I brought it up and then we just ended up in a fight because she was already so emotional. Now she's going to yell at you too. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so we were brainstorming in our family meeting about like, how can we fix this, right? Because she also doesn't want to do it, but it's a pattern that she learned from, from childhood. And it's just, you know, and then we were standing in front of some bananas that had some brown spots on it. And I said, in German, like, let's, let's use foul banan, well, rotten bananas as a safe word. Whenever I say this, then, you know, you, you remember that you actually don't want to do this. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm just using this word. And now... I just had to, you know, I'm in my office and I hear her yell at her. I just had to yell, follow the banana and <laughs> kind of stopped in our tracks. And it didn't result in a, in a fight. And actually it's, we eradicate this. It's not happening anymore. So it's in, in my sort of previous life, before I worked a lot with entrepreneurs, I worked with folks who were really at high risk for family violence. So often that looked like men who'd recently returned from combat who had PTSD and were sometimes using substances. So really just high levels of intensity, high levels of impulsivity. And that is one of the core skills that we would reinforce with people all the time and practice and practice and practice is the ability to take a timeout or change, whether it's a safe word or just calling a timeout and saying like, I'm over the line of being able to be in a productive conversation right now and I need to step away. And the ability to step away from an intense moment is the thing that is the difference between being abusive and being an upset human who's having a bad day. So the ability to just walk away, step away, say rotten bananas, say time out. So it's, it's, it's a powerful tool. One of the things that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about is a Facebook video that you circulated a while ago. I think it was a couple months ago, actually. But you talked about something that your yoga teacher had said, and that is that decisions are driven by love or fear. And I, I thought that was a really, you know, it's an old idea, but it's a powerful idea. And I'm just curious to ask you why, why that struck you so much. Why do you think you've held on to that concept? It's, it's something I always knew deep down inside, but I didn't have the words to articulate it. And, you know, when my yoga teacher said it was like this big aha moment for me, I've, I've felt this throughout my life and in, in all aspects of life. If I'm doing something out of love, it's, it's working great. If I'm doing it out of fear, it's just not working and resulting in, 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 in something negative. And I can give you a bunch of examples. Let's say I'm, I want to, I'm in sales and I want to sell you this product. And I know that this product will ease your pain points. It's going to make your life better or you're, you're more productive at work. And I know it's a really good thing for you. Then I'm selling out of love because, you know, I want to improve your life and you will feel this. And it's also, it's going to be much easier for me to be, be even pushy because I know I'm just doing something good for you. I'm, I'm a recovering introvert. I used to be very introverted. So selling was like the, the, the last thing I could do. But with this mindset shift of like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm doing this for this other person. I want to help this other person. And all of a sudden it's, it's a very easy versus if you sell out of fear, you think about the mortgage that you have to pay or then the quota that you have to hit. And this, if this is the motivation of why you're selling something, then you're, you're going to, you're going to fail. And it's going to be much harder to sell, sell something to somebody. Or uh, in terms of being introverted, I used to be even nervous being on conference calls or talking to people that I don't know, people next to me on the plane. I would have never talked to them, but now I just always see like, oh, there's a human being. Let's see how I can improve their life. And then you know, it becomes about them and not, not about me. 
And then I'm not getting into the state of fear or public speaking or being on, you know, interviewed for a podcast. Before it was always like, oh, do they think I'm weird? Do they think I have a weird German accent? Do they think I'm an idiot? Whatever, you know. And when you have all this self-doubt and fear in you, then you can't really perform, especially on stage. But when I'm standing up there and I think like, oh, what I have to say can make their lives better, then it's just flowing out and it's becomes very easy. It sounds like you've mastered this process of shifting from fear to love, of noticing fear and then working yourself through to the other side. How do you do that inside your own mind? It's more of a body feeling thing. I think your your, your emotions are your barometer. If, if it feels good, do more of it. If it doesn't feel good, stop and think like, okay, why is this not feeling right? And, you know, when, once you have this awareness, it becomes fairly easy to, to switch or to adjust, to act out of fear, uh, to act out of love. Yeah. I empathize with a lot of my entrepreneurial friends who do have moments of feeling very afraid about the health of their business, being able to make payroll, losing a key employee. I mean, there's so many things that I think feel like they're on the line when you have put so much of yourself into a business. And of course, many of our businesses do well, but some of them don't. And there are moments that are sort of dark and scary in the life of most entrepreneurs. I think it, um, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You know, it really depends on the angle that you that you view something. And everything negative, there's also lots of positive things. One example, not from work, but my, my mother passed away five years and we were very close. She was an amazing person. And when I look back and think, oh, I don't have her in my life anymore. She was so awesome. I miss her. Grew up with her. She would learn so much from her. And then I'm in a, in a negative state of mind and then just, just like pulls me, drags me down. But when I look back and think like, oh my God, I had this such an amazing mother that taught me so much that, you know, was so awesome to be around. I'm grateful for every moment that I have with her. Other people don't have a mother or have a bad relationship with her. So I'm so grateful for the things that she she taught me. Then, you know, it, it really changed the situation. You know, like when, when a key employee is leaving, you know, maybe this just opens up for, for somebody better to hire. You know, like maybe it's just not, you know, was, was not not meant to be. It requires a level of courage to choose love, to find the love perspective, I think. I'm at the point where it's just like it, the results are so much better. So, you know, it, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just automatic to you. <laughs> You're the guru on this. <laughs> um, and another example for from the workspace, my assistant, uh, we grew very fast at Maxidian. At some point, we didn't know... You know, each department, the interdepartment communication was kind of broken, you know, so we didn't know what the other department was doing. And so we came up with a solution to write an internal newsletter that was supposed to send out every Monday at 4 p.m. And um, I asked my assistant to, you know, go to each department head and get updates. And when I got the draft, it was it was never really perfect to just send it out. And I asked her to my office and told her, you're doing this out of fear and not out of love. And she looked at me like, what do you want from me? And then I explained to her that if you do it out of love, you'd really understand what each department head has to say, even though you're not super technical and are, you know, you'd understand what a CTO wants to say. And you would write it in a way and communicate it to the others in a way that they really get benefit from it and even enjoy consuming it and looking forward to the next one. Then you would act out of love, but you're acting out of fear. Your only motivation to do this is because David said this has to go out at 4 p.m. on Monday. And after I told her this, I never had to correct anything and just got kept getting better and better. It creates space for people to be really human at work too. 
yes, I think it's one of our core values at my, my current business is the first one is people first. You know, it's you have to take great care of your employees so they can take great care of your customer. And taking great care of your customer is not only a moral, morally the right thing, it also makes a lot of financial sense because they stay longer, you have less turn, they recommend you, et cetera. So, so much of your work with entrepreneurs, at least sounds like from, from where I said, I know you do many things, but it's helping people to be more thoughtful and more intentional about how they're living and how they're working. And we talked a little bit offline about some of the practices that you and your family have around kind of maybe sitting down at the beginning of a year, which is what we're approaching now and, and intentionally choosing what the year is going to look like. Yeah. What are some tips that you might have for people who are wanting to move out of being more reactive to being more intentional in the way that their family life might look like over the course of a year? Sure. It's it's always the same thing you do in your business. You just do in your household. Have like reviewing the, the, the year just passed and see what worked great, what didn't work great, what can we improve? And then planning for the next year, plan the things you want to accomplish and the things you want to do. One thing that before we did this, that was always very stressful. We only went on vacation when my wife was losing it, saying like, hey, we've been <laughs> working for so long, you know, like it, we have to go on a vacation. And then I always did like some knee-jerk reactions, like, okay, in one week or two weeks, we're going to just book something and we go on a trip, which resulted in me having to cancel a bunch of meetings. Some projects may go, go you know, up in flames because I'm not there and you book something also as a knee-jerk reaction, you overpay and it's just not planned out. And, you know, it's... it's you don't think through what you're doing or where you're going. You don't have time to research. Yeah. And which is much more pleasant when you just at the beginning of the year plan out, okay, at this point, we want to go on vacation, something you can look forward to. You block it in your calendar so you don't have any meetings that go into this. It makes life so much easier when, when you just have, have these things planned. Yeah. So do you and your wife sort of sit down like first week of January and map out the schedule for the year? Or how do you, how do, you do that in a nuts and bolts way? So I first, I plan the business part, you know, kind of which conferences will I attend, which also, you know, makes so much sense to buy these tickets in advance, just like much cheaper, right? Or where am I speaking, you know, to kind of know where I'm going and then kind of figuring out, are there any destinations that my wife wants to come with my daughter? So, you know, kind of turn this speaking gig or this conference into like a week of staying in the city. You know, you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. That's the, the first step. And then we figure out where do we want to take our, our annual vacation to. Yeah. Kind of just like to talk, talking it through. What do we want to accomplish? What kind of, you know, new experience do we want to have? What new skills do we want to learn? You know, just kind of challenging each other. I love that. And I think that you're, you're being active co-creators of your life in that way, rather than the reactive, hey, we're going to sort of squeeze in a trip when we're like, on the fringe of burnout or when your wife is frustrated or when your daughter's like, Hey, want to play with me? You know, where you, you are moving away from the sense of feeling like life is happening to you and moving into a sense of we are choosing our life. We are actively constructing the kind of life that we want to have together, the kind of year that we want to have together. On, on the note that, you know, my daughter coming to me, I want to play with you. I have a, uh, I've blocked times in my ca- in my calendar when it's playtime. So when she comes up, 
preschool. I'm playing with her for an hour and a half, and there's like I can't book any meetings in this in this time slot. Also, most meetings that I book, same as as you booked this with me, is like by Calendly. So I'm uh, I can protect myself from myself because when when I'm on the phone with somebody, it's like oh yeah, does three uh, x you know I'm I'm in Turkey, you're you're in the states. Does five p.m. PST work? I'm like yeah, sure, which is like in the middle of the night for me, but you know, I'm just like. So Calendly is like protecting me from myself and working really great. I have the same problem. I I love to be really flexible people and like meet people where they are. And yeah, there are just times when it is not the right decision for me to be available. So those kinds of tools can sort of take out the the emotional aspect of, of scheduling, which I think is really great. I, I think this idea, just to circle back around a little bit, of love and fear really resonates with me because I grew up in a pretty religious family. And one of the things that we did was we memorized a lot of Bible verses. And, you know, 30 years later, because it's been 30 years, there's one that I still remember really, like, fairly perfectly, I think, which is from the book of First John. And it says, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment and he or she who fears has not been made perfect in love. And I, it always stayed with me, this idea that, that love and fear are so incongruent and that if you are living in love, then there's not really space for fear. They're, they don't, they don't fit together. I would even go so far that if you live in full of love, then you're in paradise. And if you're full of fear, you're in hell, you know, yeah. That it's actually here in in the now, and not somewhere up there or somewhere somewhere down there. I had a pretty broad exposure to to religion. My father was Buddhist. My mother was Christian. I was an altar boy. I was head altar boy at some point. Then I didn't deal with religion at all. Then I met my wife and I studied Islam, and I lived Islam for seven years. Then I moved to LA and I became more hippie, like meditation and yoga and all that stuff. So I had like a very broad... You've had the, the buffet version <laughs> of major world religions. <laughs> and I think all these religions just really want to... The underlying message that they all have is make decisions out of love, not out of fear. And you could kind of toss toss all the books and just like live by the sentence. And then, you know, you, you'd probably be good. Well, I think that's a, it's a powerful message coming into the new year. Especially because, you know... I don't know how it's feeling for you over there where you live, but in my lived reality, there are a lot of things that can feel frightening, whether it's the state of the climate or the state of the political situation, or, you know, that there are realities in the world around us that can feel overwhelming and can strike fear in the heart of even the most sort of brave soul. So I think this, the reminder though, to respond to those threatening or scary things with it from a stance of love rather than giving into the fear of them is a good um, a good sort of mental space from which to begin a new year. I, I think the things that are scary, I, I always jump to action, you know, so my, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago, knock on wood, today she's good. Mm. But when the doctor told me, she, the doctor told me first, I had like this unpleasant feeling in my stomach for a few seconds. And then I went immediately to, okay, this really sucks, but how do we fix it? What can we do to get into a better position? So whenever there's something scary happening, just accept that, okay, there is this potential threat. Same in the business. You have like this, whatever crazy thing that just happened. You say, okay, this really, really sucks. I accept that this just happened. 
Now, how can we get into a better position? And then you're proactive and you're not in the victim situation. You know, then you can actually, you will, will not be paralyzed by fear because then you, you take action and move forward. I think that helps us, again, to feel this sense of authorship and creativity in response to the challenges of our lives rather than paralysis and reactivity. So, well, I appreciate um, being able to talk with you a little bit today. For people who are curious more about your work and what you do, what's the best place for people to keep up with you online? Online, you can pretty much everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, like search for, for David Hensel, you'll find me. You can also send me an email, dh at davidhensel.com. Um, check out my blog at davidhensel.com or check out the course at managinghappiness.com. Fantastic. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and uh, have a great holiday season. Thank you. You too. And a new year. <laughs> right. Thank you for having me on. It was fun. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Zen Founder. Our theme song is A New Beginning by bensound.com used under Creative Commons. 